Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for your love for us, for your mercy. I thank you for the work that I see going on in our midst, Lord. It's precious to me, and Lord, I trust it's precious in your eyes. I ask that you'll stir every heart, Lord, so that we might be united as one in our love for Jesus and in our growth in Christ and our mission for Christ, Lord. Please do a good work, Lord. Use this time this morning, our time in the Scriptures. Open our heart to your word of truth. And Lord, use the time afterwards, Lord, when we find ways to be connected. Guide us by your Spirit. Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will give you a Bible. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. We'd love to have you follow along on the printed page, so don't be shy about getting a Bible and getting into it. Once you get your Bible, you can open up to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, our continuing study in the book of Ephesians. And as you're finding your place, I want to give you a pattern to think about, and it goes like this, health strength, maturity, and then you go out and actually do something with your life, all right? That's the pattern, health, strength, maturity, then go out and do something. And that pattern illustrates, by contrast, uh, a basic fundamental truth about babies. Babies, though they may be infinitely cute, can't actually do much of anything, can they? Now, I have a grandson who I am completely smitten with. Um, He is an amazing kid. He's nine months old. He is over 25 pounds. He is an amazing little guy. His name is Wild Huxley Gray Gunderson. Now, there's a name, all right? And this little kid is amazing. Um, He has a twinkle in his eye. He has a huge smile. He has ginormous cheeks that um, every time I get around him, I just want to grab him and kiss his cheek and be healed in my heart from whatever troubles me, because babies' cheeks have the power to do that. I guess they do do something, don't they? He has learned to wave sort of. When I come into the room, I'll see him sitting there in his Buddha-like state, his (laughs) Zen-like quality about him. He looks at me across the room, and I smile, and he'll kind of smile at me, and I'll wave, hi, Wild. And he gets a big smile, and he's figured out he has an arm that corresponds to my arm. And he, he puts his arm out like this, and then he sort of loses his balance. <laughs> it's like, Grandpa, ah! Now, some of his uh, little companions in the nursery, the nine-month-olds, who are more life in their um, you know, physical being, Um, They can crawl around and do stuff, but he doesn't really do that. I mean, he's got a lot of weight to push, you know. I mean, sometimes he'll push himself up, you know, like a little push-up, you know, like, and kind of look around like he's all proud of himself, and it's like, okay, that's enough, and he'll go back down. So that's about it. And, you know, so he's an amazing guy, and, um, and we love him, but you know what? We actually want him to grow. We want him to grow. We want him to grow up, okay? Even though my daughter, you know, on Instagram, she took a picture of him, and it was the cutest baby picture ever, and his cherub-like face was there, and she said, my New Year's resolution is to learn how to freeze time, you know, because it's so sweet and so precious, but you don't really want to freeze time, not really. You want 
that little guy to grow. And here's the goal. The goal is health, strength, maturity. And then you actually go out and do something with your life. Now, I want you to take that pattern, take that exact paradigm, and I want you to apply it to the church. Apply it to the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to apply it to our church. Okay, what if that was the pattern for us? Not just as individuals, but as a church. Health, strength, maturity, and then you actually go out and do something with your life together in Christ. That's the pattern that God reveals. That reveals his heart. That's his plan for us. That's his purpose for us. That's his goal for us. And I'm going to show it to you in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Those are our verses for this morning. Super important passage in the Bible for us. God is speaking to us. Let me read this to you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that is an awesome passage. I hope it means something to you. It means a lot to me as a pastor and as someone who cares about the church. As a member of the church, um, I hope it means something to you. And what I see in this passage is a pattern. It's actually a pattern. It's the pattern that I told you about. Health, strength, maturity, so that we can actually do something together. First pass at this, I want to just look at some words. And as we look at the words, I want to ask you to look for this pattern that I just told you about. So let's go in chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 12, where after it talks about how he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, it says to equip the saints. I want you to notice that word equip, to equip the saints. The word equip literally means to mend or restore something. If we were to look up the Greek word in the New Testament, you'd see that at the root of it, it means to mend or restore something. To mend or restore something so that ultimately it might be used. It might be something that's useful. Okay. So the word is translated in one place where Jesus, it says, he, he saw the disciples and they were in the boat, mending the nets. They were in the boat with their father, Matthew 4, and they're mending the nets. 
And then he called them to follow. And the word mending there, where it says they're mending the nets, it's the exact same word that's used here. But in this verse, it's translated to equip. But in that, it's to mend. There are several other passages where it talks about a restoration, someone who needs to be restored. You need to restore them. And it's the same word, to restore. To mend, to restore, to make healthy, to make whole, to equip in a way that something can be used and it can become useful. So in this context, the best word to translate it is, that's right, it's good, it's to equip. That makes perfect sense. Maybe you can just feel a little bit of the sense of um, health here. To be made healthy, to be made whole, so that it can be useful. Right? So to equip the saints. Now, by the way, the word saints in the Bible is not a word for the super-spiritual. There are many Christian traditions where they reserve the word saint for the super-Christians. You know, those who are in stained-glass windows and stuff like that. And um, that's not really the meaning of the New Testament word saint. The word saint, and, and when he writes to the Ephesians, he says to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints. The word saint means any person who's been redeemed by Christ, their sins forgiven by the miracle of God's grace. The Holy Spirit has been given to them by grace to make them a new creation in Christ. They've been seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, their Lord, and now God has a work for them in this world, and he's actually working in and through them. That's Really, the book of Ephesians, I just described it to you, and that's a description of every single believer in Christ. And that's why we're called saints. Because the word saint simply means somebody who has been taken by God for a special purpose. You've been chosen by God for a special purpose. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have your act together. In fact, that's exactly why he says the equipping for the equipping of the saints, for the restoring of the saints, for the mending of the saints, for the making whole and healthy of the saints. Because you see, if a saint was the super Christian who had already arrived, you know, the saint is the one who's totally got it together and actually done 15 miracles already, right? Well, why does that person need to be equipped or mended or made whole or anything like that? They don't. So hopefully you get that idea. And the saints are, is you, all right? The equipping of the saints. But let's take a look at another word here, and it's in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Building up. Take a look at that phrase for a minute, to build up the body of Christ. Now, when it says to build up, it doesn't mean just to build something taller, 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 build it up, build it high. It means to build it up in terms of strength, right? You can build something, and you can build it Big, or you can build it strong. And when it says building up, it's talking about building strength into the body of Christ. You may go to the gym and you you say, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm getting built up. You know, what are you doing? You're strengthening your muscles. I'm getting ripped. I'm getting strong. I'm doing bodybuilding, right? That's the kind of idea here. It's the building up of the body of Christ. You can build a building. You can make it out of toothpicks, and you can make it, you know, pretty tall, but it's not going to be very strong. Or you can make it out of something solid and just knit that thing together. And you go, hey, we're building this strong. For the building up of the body of Christ, it's a strength word. Health, 
wholeness, strength. And then what comes next? Verse 12, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. All right? Third word, maturity. The very stature of Jesus Christ. Can you see the pattern? It's right there in the text. This is God's pattern. I didn't make it up. It's God's pattern. It's not just a pattern. It's God's heart. It's his heart. And it's his plan. It's his purpose. Not just for the church, for us. For us. This is the pattern. God looks at us and he says, come on, guys. Grow up. Let's grow up. Let's come to healthy, strong maturity. Why? So that we can actually express the full measure of Christ. That sounds pretty daunting. It's not just so that we can look good. It's so that we can do something. What is the full measure of Christ? Not just an idea. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament there is no physical description of Jesus Christ? There's no physical description of Jesus. What we have is a description of Christ, and we see what he does. He comes into the world. He humbles himself. He serves. teaches. He heals. He raises the dead. He loves. He forgives. We see Christ at work, at work, at work, and it's the measure of the fullness of Jesus poured out in action. If a church body is mature... If they're healthy, strong, and mature, it will issue in action. You'll see God doing things in and through that church. That's maturity. That's the goal. About 10 or 12 years ago, I did a sermon at our church entitled The Adolescence of the Church. (laughs) And the reason I did the sermon, The Adolescence of the Church, was because it suddenly struck me that we were kind of adolescent. (laughs) You know? It was like, as a church, like we had a lot of good things going for us, but we couldn't quite really do very much without either bruising ourselves or those around us. It was awkward. It was that awkward stage of adolescence for us. And, and I talked about it, and I said, in a way, I said, it's okay. You know, it's okay. God, but God's moving us on. Let's move beyond this, the awkwardness of adolescence. Can you remember the awkwardness of adolescence? It's that time in your life where you, you, know, you finally get some muscles and you get some strength and you get some knowledge, but you don't know what to do with any of it. <laughs> you know? And then you're, you're actually a danger to yourself and others. That's, that's kind of the way it is. You know? Or you know, you're that adolescent that you, know, you, go, you go to junior high or something and you're looking around and you're going, wow, you know, that guy, that's a big guy over there. He looks really manly. I don't think I look that manly. You know? And you're looking over there and you see these different people and you know that. This person's got their act together. This person can do that. And you wonder, who am I? You know, you go home and look in the mirror. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but did any of you ever just go like into the bathroom and just like just shut the door and then just look at yourself in the mirror and like evaluate yourself and think about, you know, the other kids at junior high or something like that. And, it, you know, it's that awkward moment. It's like, who, who am I? How do I measure up? And you think about all of that. And then you go, man, what the heck? And you go back and sit on the couch and do nothing. <laughs> Let's go play Xbox. Well, we didn't have Xbox. Atari. Pong. 
Actually, I don't think we had Pong either. That was... <laughs> well, whatever we did back then, let's go do that. You know, let's go turn on cartoons and watch those for a while. That's about all that's, that's, all that's going on right now. It's that awkward moment of adolescence. And what is pretty cool, I think, for us as a church is I actually believe that we have begun to move beyond our adolescence as a church. I, I think we've moved beyond it. I'm really excited about that. And you know, the reason why I feel that we've moved beyond it, that we are moving beyond it, is in many ways because of what I see out in the foyer in the community room. I see these tables and these signs, and, and each one represents a ministry of our church. And in each ministry, there's people serving. There's people doing stuff. And that's what tells me, you know, and, and we're doing stuff and we're not like giving each other black eyes all the time, you know, while we're doing it. It's like, wow, we can actually get something done here. That's pretty cool, you know. We're starting to get coordinated. We're coming to maturity. And that's the goal. And there's nothing better. And I'm so excited as a pastor to look around and see what's happening in our church. That's the reason why we give these reports at our church. We get up here and we say, yeah, God's doing great things and talk about ministries and all that. It's not to blow the trumpet and say that we're great. It's to recognize the hand of Jesus working in our church, to acknowledge that, to appreciate that, and then to say, wow, I wonder what else the Lord might have for us. That's when we begin to grow. Today is a Connect Sunday, and as a Connect Sunday, it means that we're going to have the opportunity to build on the momentum, to build on what God has already done. And so we'll give time for you to go and to, to talk to people who have different ministries in the church, ministries that are available for you to receive, ministries that are available for you to contribute, to give, to begin to serve. And all of this, it's not just a program. It's the goal of God. It's the heart of God for our church. And it's very, very important. And so this Sunday, this morning, I want to ask you to do your part to build River West Church. Okay, so this sermon is a sermon about asking you guys to do something. I want you to do your part to build River West Church to become the church that Jesus wants us to be. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. And in many ways, you are the key to the whole thing. I know it sounds weird to hear that, but really you are the key to the whole thing. And the reason you're the key to the whole thing is because in God's paradigm, in God's pattern, the bottom line of a healthy, strong, mature church, the bottom line is this, every member ministry. It is the ministry of every member which is required to build the whole into health, strength, and maturity. That's the way it works. God has given us his goal and his heart. In this passage, he also gives us the pattern with which he builds. And the pattern goes like this. Jesus, leaders, and members. Jesus, the risen Lord, leaders in the church, and every member doing ministry. That's his pattern, and you can clearly see it in the text. Take a look again at chapter 4 and in verse 11 and 12. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's you and me, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Do you see the pattern once again? I'm going to give you the pattern now with some different words. Actually, I'm going to talk about the players, and they are Jesus. Jesus first. Because it's when it says, and he gave, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's talking about Jesus. It's Jesus who gave. It's Jesus who builds his church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's Jesus. Jesus, the risen Lord. That's who he's talking about. Now, if you understand the book of Ephesians, you understand that Jesus Christ is alive. He is the risen Lord and he's at work in our world. All right? I like to say that at River West Church, we are supernaturalists. I say that word because people have to pause to to go, what did you just say? I said, we are supernaturalists. And then they go, what do you mean by that? I go, thank you for asking. (laughs) A supernaturalist is someone who actually believes that God is actively at work in our lives and in our world. He is here, he is present, he is at work. We believe that. That is by contrast to what you might call a deist. Have you ever heard of deism? Deism is the concept that though God may exist, he's just not involved. He didn't come around these parts anymore. He wound up the universe like a giant clock and he just let it go and all the mechanisms are working. And God may be out there, but we just don't hear from him much anymore. A deism is like, you know, it's like believing that God is God the Father. Sure, it says he's God the Father, but he's like a father who abandoned the family. He started the family and took off, you know. Where's dad? I don't know. I haven't seen him since I was a kid. He left years ago. He's nothing to do with my life, okay. And that's the way people think about God, you know. I mean, I wouldn't actually expect God to do anything in my life. That's deism. But we're not deists. We're supernaturalists. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that God is at work in our lives and in our world. Now, some Christians function like deists, even though they say they believe in the presence and the power of God at work. So theologically, they will check all the boxes. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, Jesus is alive. Yes, he's present. Yes, he's working. But then they go their way and they actually live every day with a mindset of deism. They're functional deists. Is that God's really not, I don't really expect him to do anything. I don't really pray in faith. I don't watch for him because functionally I'm a deist, right? I'm saying all this because the the church in America, like this this is our challenge, really. Functional deism, like that's the challenge, it's just so radical to actually live a life where you believe in Christ, the risen Lord. But he is alive. That's the gospel. It's the fundamental of the gospel. He is alive. And he is present. And the power of his spirit is with us. And he wants to do a work. And you know what he's working on? Jesus is working on the church. I've read it to you before, but I've got to read it again. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, Let me just read this, refresh our memory. It is the entry point to everything we're talking about here today. Ephesians 1.19. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ is alive. And if you're a Christian, you believe that. You say, yes, I believe that he's alive. And I believe he's at work in our world. But if you read a little bit more, read the details, that he might be the head of the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The only way that the church can be the church is to live in active faith that Jesus Christ is alive and he's at work in the church. And then you say, and I'm going to join him. I'm going to join him. There's a lot of people who say, I like Jesus, but I don't really like the church. And my response to that would be, well, if you like Jesus, Jesus likes the church. So why wouldn't you like the church? (laughs) I, I like Jesus. He's my priority, but the church isn't my priority. And I would say, but the church is his priority. So there's a disconnect here somewhere. What's actually going on? The church has gotten a lot of bad press. The church has had a lot of bad leaders. The church has had a lot of problems. I know. It's an imperfect institution for sure because it's made up of imperfect people. But the church is the project of Jesus Christ. And when I mean the church, I don't mean the building. I don't just mean an organization. I mean a body of believers. He's always working on the body to be the body so that we can reflect his glory in the world and do his work in the world. That's his priority. You cannot be a Christ follower and say, I'm just not interested in building the church. It cannot be. It's an impossibility. So Jesus, here's the way it goes. Jesus is building his church. Jesus, leaders, and every member ministry. So in Ephesians 4, in verse 11, it says, And he, Jesus, the risen Lord, the head of the church, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Very important passage. In verse 11, we have a list. It's a list of ministries or offices in the church. Now, you have to understand that in the New Testament, there are many lists of ministries, offices, gifts. There are many such lists in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there are at least 19 different spiritual gifts, roles, offices listed. And most people believe that that list is not exhaustive. In other words, that's, there's all these different lists, and if you count up all these different roles and spiritual gifts, there's 19, but it, it's kind of like, There's more. These are just the ones that are mentioned in the New Testament, right? It's important to know. These five are listed. They are presented because these contain, this list contains recognized leadership roles in the early church. Every one of the roles on this list are recognized as leadership roles. And so today, I'm not going to unpack each one of those leadership roles. What I want to do is give you a category, and that category is leadership. Jesus 
builds his church. And Jesus uses leaders to do that. It's part of his plan is to have leaders in the church. Okay, so there's no such thing as a healthy, strong, mature church without leaders in it. Jesus uses leaders. But here's the thing. This is where it really gets vital to understand. It is not the responsibility of the leaders to do the work of the ministry. It is the responsibility of the leaders to equip the saints, to equip the members to do the work of the ministry. Jesus builds the church. Jesus uses leaders in the church, and he uses every member in the church, and each have a role. In a healthy, strong, mature church, it is the members of the church that do the work of the ministry. I just want you to hear that because it's super, super important. Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church is a guy that I greatly admire. He's, he's an amazing Christian leader. And I heard him speak one time, and he, he said this, and I've, I've never forgotten it. He said, if you want a healthy church, let the leaders lead and let the members do the ministry. If you want an unhealthy church, let the members lead and make the leaders do all the work of the ministry. <laughs> you get my take on that, you know? But that's so often the way that it is in churches. The members want to kind of like lead everything and then, and then basically tell the leaders what needs to be done and hold them accountable to what needs to be done. And they hire guys to go do the, to do the work of the ministry. And it's completely dysfunctional. And it doesn't work that way. There's a bottleneck in ministry. Ministry cannot multiply. Pastor Rick Warren, he said, you know, there were people, as, as his church was growing, people were upset because Pastor Rick didn't come to visit them when they were sick. Like they'd be in the hospital, and they'd go, I, I expect a visit from my pastor. And he wouldn't show up. And so they'd be all offended. And finally, he said to the congregation, he said, look it, you don't want to see me at the hospital. <laughs> if you see me come through the door, it's pretty much over. <laughs> it's like, no, not Pastor Rick. It's worse than I thought. <laughs> How many hours do I have to live? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't multiply ministry by saying to the leaders, you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that's really got the goods. You're the only one that Jesus, when you pray, that's the only time Jesus answers a prayer. You're the only one that understands biblical truth. And so there's a bottleneck in the leader. And the church op operates that way oftentimes. But that's not the pattern. The pattern is Jesus works through leaders, and he works through them to equip the saints to actually do the work of the ministry. That's the way the pattern works. And it's all important. Can you see it? Will you please read it? I want your eyes to see the text, and I want you to read it. I'm not making this up. It says in verse 12, the leaders, and from verse 11, their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, for building up. So every one of us in this room, our job is to build up 
the body of Christ. You remember build up? What does it mean? Not just building the church in terms of numbers, but in terms of strength, health, strength, maturity. It's everyone in this room. It's our job collectively to build the church. This is God's plan for church growth. And by church growth, I don't just, I'm not talking about numbers. Like, I don't want to be a mega church. No, 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 no mega church. We're not talking about mega church. I'm talking about healthy church. Healthy church. And this is the heart of God. This is what he cares about desperately. Now, look at the text. Let me show you something that is really important. In verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, now that verse, just pause and think about that verse for a minute. I used to just rush by that verse to get to the good part or to get to the upbuilding part. And now, many years later, I, that verse strikes fear in my heart. I read that verse and I go, why, why did he have to write that? I mean, why did that have to be in there? You know, Because that sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by, listen, every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. He piles on words here. This verse is scary to a pastor, and it should be scary to anyone who cares about the church, which is you. You should care about the church. It's scary because it implies that there are actually people and forces and doctrines that are working against the church, working against the church, becoming mature, growing, being grounded in biblical truth. Okay, there's deceitfulness, craftiness, scheming, every wind of doctrine blowing us off course. Yeah, that's scary stuff. And you know what's scary? It's not just like people doing it by mistake. Like, oh, I didn't know. You know, or no, I didn't really intend to get us on a different path. No, these people intend to do that. Like they want to they take the Christian faith like the, the basic truths of, of the historic Christian faith, and they want to jettison things and go, it's not important. We don't believe that anymore. Or add to, well, now we believe this because it's, now it's more culturally relevant. The church from the beginning has always had that sort of challenge of accommodating the culture, and people will come in and say, we can actually change the Christian message, but we'll still call it Christianity. That's what he's talking about. And so the winds blow through the church, and they've been blowing ever since the beginning. They've been blowing, 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 and the waves. And as a pastor, I think, boy, if the church isn't strong, if we're not healthy, strong, mature, we're like a bunch of babies or children, we're going to get blown away. You know? When you're a kid, you know, and you go to the beach, and you're really little, you're totally afraid to go near the water. You're going to get dragged, if you have any sense. I mean, there's some kids that just run headlong. But... Some, you know, they go, wait, that's kind of dangerous out there, you know. Or if you're a parent, you're watching your kid, and you're thinking, okay, I don't want them near the water because they're so little. And the tiniest little wave is just going to suck them away. But then, and you grow up, and you get stronger, and you can stand on your own two feet, and you have balance, and you have some muscle mass, and you've got, you know, some 
coordination and you can go out there and you can stand in the waves and the waves are coming and it's so cool, you know, as, as a young man when you go and I could just go ahead, wave, just, you, you know, and you're like, yeah, that's what guys do. <laughs> and you test your strength, but you get stronger and you can stand. Unfortunately, an unhealthy, weak, immature church cannot stand. So as a pastor, I'm like, oh, man, this is so important. This is so important. I mean, don't you want to be a part of a healthy, strong, mature church? Isn't that? I mean, who would say, yeah, I want to be a part of an immature, babyish church that you know, basically can't do anything but fall over? <laughs> Nobody wants that. All right. So what's it going to take? Well, here you go. Verse 15. It says, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Okay, so rather than being immature and getting blown all over the map and getting off course and you know, having false doctrine and compromising Christian truth, rather than that, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Who's supposed to speak the truth in love? You are. Speaking the truth in love. Every member doing that. That's how we grow. By every member speaking the truth in love. Now, please understand, when the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love, it is not talking about just being honest. You just have to be honest and loving. Now, by the way, you should be honest and loving. (laughs) That's always good counsel, right? Do not give false testimony. Don't lie. It's bad. Don't do it. Be honest. That's a general principle, but that's not what this verse is talking about. Speaking the truth in love, truth is a reference to gospel truth, the truth of the gospel. And I know that because in Ephesians 1, take a look at it, 1.13, here's the kind of language that you hear in the New Testament about the word truth. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The word of truth It's the gospel, gospel truth. All right, that's why we teach the gospel class. The light bulb went on for us as leaders. And we said, the only way we can be the church that Jesus wants us to be is if the whole congregation is immersed in gospel truth and they can speak out of gospel truth into one another's lives look at their own life through gospel truth, but also have a language to speak to others' truth, gospel truth. Colossians, which is just over past Ephesians and then Philippians and then comes Colossians, is a book with many parallel truths to the book of Ephesians. And actually the area of Colossae wasn't far from Ephesus. And I want to read to you another few verses that correspond with what I'm talking about. Colossians 3.14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's the theme of unity. We saw it last week. Unity and ministry. Those are the things we're after here. So yes, unity. But then what he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Okay, 
let the word of Christ dwell in you. What's the word of Christ? It's the, word, it's the gospel. It's gospel truth. Let it be deeply planted in your heart so then you can speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you know what it is? You can minister to each other in love from the word of truth. That's what's powerful. Now think about it. This is the purpose of our growth groups. The growth groups is to give you a context where you can do life with other people, and hopefully in that group, there are some people who know how to speak the truth in love. And that doesn't mean just be honest with a good attitude. Like, you know, honestly, I think your hair is really bad today, but I love you. (laughs) Ephesians 4. There you go. Spoke the truth in love. Honestly, I think you need to lose a few pounds, but I'm just saying, I love you. So, you know, okay, that's not speaking the truth in love. All right, don't do that. That's not wise. Speaking the truth in love is when you are in tune enough with gospel truth that in an attitude of love that you can actually speak a word of encouragement to a person's life from from the gospel truth and, and apply it and show them Christ, you know where you can speak to a person's life a word of wisdom or encouragement for them. You can pray for them, gospel-guided prayer. I mean, this is powerful. How blessed are you if you're in a group where you have some people like that in your life? And you don't have to depend just on the pastor. I better wait till Sunday so the pastor guy can give me a shot in the arm because that's the only time I hear gospel truth, you know, or I'll get on the iPod and I'll just download sermon after sermon after sermon Uh, listening to people who have no idea what I'm going through, no context for my life whatsoever, and don't even know me. It's like disembodied gospel truth. But what if you're with a group of people who know you, love you, care for you, and also know the gospel and and love it, and can just share into your life truth? The people who have done that in my life, it's been transformational in my life. That's the purpose of our growth groups, you see. And the end result is growth strength, health, and then we start to be the church Jesus wants us to be. It's amazing. Go to verse 16. This is where it all kind of comes together. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, from Jesus. Remember, Jesus. He's the head. The whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each and every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Who builds the body? Bottom line, you do. Every member does. It's the only way it can ever happen. For us to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. It's for you to do your part in that. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you just some practical lessons and applications from this. Something practical to think about. Number one is this. The church is the body of Christ and you are a part in that body. You're a part. And being a part, you have to be connected to the body. You have to stay connected. 
You know, in here it talks about every joint. Some translations say ligament. In the Greek word, it, it literally means just connection point. What was it, a joint or a ligament? They both connect. You know, it's like connective tissue. So it's a connection. That's why we have connect tables. That's why this is Connect Sunday. Because you need to be connected. All right? You are a part of a larger whole. And being that you're part of a larger whole, you must receive ministry from other members or you'll be sick, weak, and immature. You have to receive ministry from other members of the body. You just have to. It's the only way. If a part is cut off from the body, it's not going to live long, right? It needs to be connected and properly connected. Now I'm going to tell you something that I saw that freaked me out of my mind. And some of you have seen this picture. There's a guy in China, and he got his hand cut off. And they took that hand because they didn't want it to die. Because if you cut a part off, it's going to die. And they said, it can't die. It needs to be connected to the body. So you know what they did? Have you seen the photo? You've seen the photo. It's just, it's just icky. They took the hand and they sewed it onto his leg. They so- Look, at some of you are shocked. You, because you, you go, no, that's wrong. That's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, but if they're keeping the hand alive. I don't care. It's wrong. It's weird. It's, it's crazy. There's a picture of a guy's leg. He's laying in the hospital bed. There's the leg. And there's the hand. <laughs> You're like, no! <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> Each part has to be properly connected. Let's get it right. Because something in us says, that's not right. I want to see the hand where the hand is supposed to be. Please <laughs> help me. you must be connected properly connected and part of the work of leadership is to help the body to be equipped and properly connected you see and finally you must do something that contributes to the rest of the body or will never be the church that Jesus intends for us to be you've got to do something to contribute every part must Contribute. There's a reason for every part, right? And this is the way that the Lord builds the body. I hope you care about the church like Jesus does, your Lord and Savior who died and rose again and now he's the head of the church. I hope you care about the church. And I hope that you'll respond to what you're hearing here and be a part of the Lord building the church, all right? So today, it's Connect Sunday, and as you make your way out into the foyer and into the community room, I want to give you two general categories, all right? Category number one is get connected in a way that you can receive, that you can actually receive from somebody else. So you'll find growth groups and classes and different ways where you can get around other Christians who are going to minister to you, and you're going to be on the receiving end of things. So just think about that. That's one category when you go out there. Here's the other category. Get connected in a way that you can serve, that you can give, that you can contribute. That's another category. These are the two categories for every believer. Every believer has got to live in these two realms. I'm receiving and I'm contributing, I'm giving. So go out and see what's available and keep those categories On the serving, giving end of things, you're going to find some categories. Service teams, 
Service teams are the easiest way to begin to connect. A lot of them are just Sunday morning. How can we serve and, and make our services happen and serve the body in various ways? And it's pretty easy to do. And so you'll, you can find a table about service teams. The ministry of care, a care ministry. We're actually beginning a care ministry. You might be able to say, well, you know, I'm the kind of person, I'd like to go pray with someone. I'd like to go to the hospital. If somebody's in need, I'd love to come alongside them. And when they see you coming, they're not going to think their life is over. So that's a good thing. That's a plus. You'll find care ministry opportunity. Growth group leadership. There's opportunities now. Because the body's growing, we want people in growth groups. There's opportunities for you to serve, to, to lead in a growth group. And I think there's a table out there, and you'll see Pastor Adam. who will be up here in a minute. You can talk to him about that. Christianity Explored Facilitation Team. Christianity Explored is a ministry where we introduce people to the basics of Christian faith, and it's, it's an awesome program. And we're looking for people to facilitate that. And so you can go to that table, and you can figure out how to get involved in that. And finally, Children and Student Ministry is always a fantastic place to serve. I cannot think of anything more important than a quality ministry to our own children and to our young people in our church. There's nothing more vital than that, okay? In order to build the body of Christ, we need to do these things. Now, I'm just giving you a smattering. I haven't even talked about outreach things. That's, that's a whole other category, you know, like all the stuff that we do out in the world around us. Today is kind of a focus on the body ministering to the body. And there's so many more things going on. This is just a smattering of ideas. I want to say a prayer. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and we'll worship and have Pastor Adam dismiss us. Would you pray? Thank you, Lord, so much for your love for the church. It's humbling, Lord, and it's inspiring. And I know, Lord, that if it weren't for you, Jesus, the risen Lord, we would not see the things that we see and that we have seen through the years at our church. We would not feel the momentum. It just wouldn't be happening, Lord. So I acknowledge you, Jesus. And I pray that you will come and supernaturally continue to work in our midst. Our imperfect needing to be mended and made whole midst, Lord, work in us. And Lord, I pray you'll guide each one to have an aspect of their Christian life where they receive from the body and also where they give and serve, Lord. Please, Lord, help us to be healthy, strong, and mature and actually do something for Jesus in this world. We love you, Lord. We pray for your guidance this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.